Welcome to Gardening Naturally with Jeff Ferris. Call or text Jeff now with your gardening and landscape questions. 512-836-0590. Hey, good morning, gardeners. Welcome to or welcome back to Gardening Naturally. Man, like I said, I can't stop talking about it. It's going to be a beautiful day. This is outside weather, folks. Um, We got cheated out of that in a way this summer and we're going to get an opportunity to get some of it back today it is it is just lovely outside lovely outside so enjoy the day regardless of what you're going to do go have a nice day one of the things that science has really been pushing And for a good reason is that our health is better when we go outside, when we get to be exposed to nature. That is something that there's no real limit. It is beneficial for us as individuals to get some sunshine once in a while. To, to, to be able to walk away from our problems doesn't mean we ignore them, which I guess that would be nice. Some of us could, but it lets us, uh, it lets us unwind a bit. Just go soak up some sunshine, enjoy the temperatures, take a nice walk. Stop and smell the roses. Speaking of which, my roses are blooming. I've got one, uh, Marie Pave, which is supposed to be a rose that does very well in the shade. And I've got in a spot where it, it gets dappled sun. It doesn't get full-on sun, I don't think, any part of the day. My gosh, it's just bunches and bunches and bunches of blooms. Made it through the heat. Made it through the freeze apocalypse too. It's one that I'd like to move, but uh, I just haven't gotten there yet. Okay, this, this would be good weather for moving a plant. Yes, it would. This would be wonderful weather for deciding to move a plant. Now, Getting it moved, you have a bit of a problem. If you move a plant in this weather, that's not giving it a whole bunch of time to adapt to the new location before we could be looking at freezes. That's only a couple of weeks if you take this weekend and dig something up and then move it. Now, If it has gone dormant, um, I'm going to be moving a fig. It's still got leaves on it. Once it goes dormant, that'll be when I dig it up and move it. That'll be okay for it. I'll plant it well. It'll be in a spot that's pretty much blocked from north winds, gets plenty of sun during the day, but I'll be able to move it when it's dormant. 
Now, some plants you may move that don't really go dormant. So you have to take into account, are they going to be okay if I move them now and we get a hard freeze? And the closer we get to freezes finally coming, should start wearing on you, should start making you think about, you know, a rose. I'm not going to move a rose during a freeze. Nah, they, they, they need more time than that to regrow. They will, they will, but let's be smart about when we decide that we need to move these guys who've been in place for a long time. That's usually the case, you know. <clears throat> that is usually the case. We, we want to move something and we finally got to it. May have been growing great where it's at. It's just not, maybe it's getting too much shade now. Something like that. So think about it. Urgency is really not a big deal. So if you want to <clears throat> move something, okay, you can do so. But think, is this a plant that's dormant? The possibility of freeze is probably going to be less damaging to it. Is this a plant that's growing actively? Well, I may be able to move it, but will it have enough time to kind of adjust before we suddenly get freezes? Can't predict the future, unfortunately. Can't predict the future. So we don't know if it's going to be unbelievably cold or what do we do? So, <clears throat> can we still be planting seeds in the garden? Root crops? You betcha. Carrots, beets, turnips, rutabagas, whatever you happen to put in the ground like that, you can get root crops in right now and they should be okay. If, if you put seeds in the ground today, you planted another row of something. So if we get a freeze coming up, Maybe if they're really small shoots, you may want to turn around and cover them just to give them a little help. But they should do fine in the soil as a root crop and you can get another round of whatever you planted in case you got too many the first time through. So... Um, be, be pre prepared, though, if we get a frost, you're going to want to get at least a row cover out there over the top. 
it will work for you. It will work to go ahead with root crops right now. Non-root crops, like new lettuce seeds or spinach, hmm, getting close there. They'll take longer to come up and be smaller and more susceptible to a freeze. Maybe you start these inside and then take them out later when they're larger. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. I got to take a quick break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, the... I'm I'm, I'm going to recommend. I'm going to talk about a trick for carrots. Not everybody's going to want to do this one. Okay, it's all right. One of the problems with carrots is that you need a package of seeds, and a pinch of seeds is like 20 carrots. And when you go to seed, nobody is going to sit there and take. Here's one seed. Put it in the soil. Here's one seed. Put it in the soil. That's a waste of time. Most people just toss the carrot seeds. Let them come up where they come up. There is... um, There is a way to make carrot tape. Now, there are still vendors out there who sell carrot tape. What is carrot tape? It is strip of of paper that will decompose. And on the paper at the correct interval, they put a drop of glue and they put a carrot seed. So as you unroll this tape, you have a perfectly spaced row of carrots. Now you pay a lot extra for carrot tape. But you can do it yourself. This is the part where you got to get a kid who's really dedicated to this because this is the most boring work you can ever believe. Take a newspaper and make strips of it. Half an inch wide, three quarters of an inch wide. Take some flour and water and stir them together in a container to make a glue. Put a dot of the glue on the paper, drop a seed on the dot. Move over about an inch or so, drop a glue, put down a seed. Do this, leave the piece of paper out till it dries so that when you pick it up, all the seeds are stuck to the paper. The paper is not wet enough or the glue wet enough um, to, to, to make them germinate. So you can make these ahead of time. Let's say you're bored and it's a rainy day or you'd have to be bored, okay, to do this. But you can make a tape and you wind up with perfectly spaced carrots. Make several of these tapes, 
put in one row this week, another row next week, another row the week after, and you'll have a constant harvest. Now, like I said, a lot of the seed companies do sell carrot tape. You'll have to check their catalogs or send them a note and ask them, and it is more expensive per carrot than you just simply sprinkling seeds. Most people won't thin carrots. They'll let them grow. And there's a trick here. There's a trick. As the carrots grow in a cluster, they all grow, but they don't all grow at the same speed. There'll always be one that's more aggressive. As it grows and grows, it's ready for harvest, even though the others aren't. So you carefully harvest that carrot out of the cluster to give room to the other carrots to allow them to grow. That way, each carrot, you get a bigger carrot this way without having to go through the trouble of thinning them. This works for beets because when you plant a beet, you actually get more than one beet in the seed. Like I said, it's a lot of work. It is boring to do, or you just buy carrot tape, <clears throat> or you accept that some of your carrots aren't perfect. And it's always fun to see how the carrots come out when they intertwine and bend and things like that. Sometimes you get some very adult carrots, but in the big picture, they're still a carrot. You can still chop them up. You can still eat them raw. They'll be just fine. Now, um, let's see. What do we got texted here? All right. This is strange <clears throat> because this is one of those, oh, do this. This obviously was an answer from someone who has not really got the experience in growing citrus. Someone was told that not to pick citrus till January 1st. I have no idea what that date has. Got news for you. Citrus trees cannot read a calendar, nor can they read a clock. They don't know what day it is. January 1st this year could have had a completely different weather system than January 1st next year or last year. The date is not the issue. The, the lemon's color of citrus does not determine ripeness. It is possible to grow lemons, have a completely green lemon, but when you cut it open, it is perfectly lemon. It's not bitter, it's got the right amount of sweetness, the right amount of tartness, but it's green, it's not yellow. Don't The color does not determine ripeness. So if you have a fruit that has, you have a lot of fruit on a fruit tree, especially citrus, 
squeeze it relatively ident- uh, firmly. You don't want to pop it like a, a balloon. If it gives a little bit, if it's not a hard rock, if you can work it a little bit just with your fingers while you squeeze it, sample it. Pick that one, especially if you've got more than one on the contain on the tree. Test it. If it's ripe, go to the next one. Does it have the same squeeze? If it does, take it. Citrus keeps a really long time in the fridge. A very long time. And you can always make, you know, gosh, and I don't have the name for it again. Um, pickled lemons, for lack of a better word. I know that's not their name. I'll figure it out here in a minute. But fruit is not, oh, it's this day, it's ready to go. No, it's ripe when it's ripe. And the only way to determine that, give it a little squeeze there. If it gives pretty easily, sample it. If it samples and tastes great, you probably are ready to pick them. Folks, uh, coming to the bottom of the hour, we're going to break for the news. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. <clears throat> I got texted a message that uh, I'm not the most qualified person to answer uh, because they're not my, they're not in my wheelhouse. They're not something I'm particularly interested in. Um, and that's ferns. Now, there are a lot of indoor ferns. There are also a lot of outdoor ferns in Texas. I know river fern can be one that handles our weather. It's an attractive plant. It's, it's a perfect choice. Um, Asparagus or foxtail fern, those are two others. But you have to be, you have to be careful on what you purchase. Where are you going to use it? If you're going to keep it indoors, well, pretty much all the ferns are fine. They don't need a huge don't generally need a huge amount of light and it's easier to control the water and you don't have to worry about a freeze. Outside ferns, well, that's where our local nurseries come in. Again, I keep referencing local nurseries for a reason. You may find at a big box store that they'll carry ferns but you really want to read the tag on them. How big do they grow? Do they freeze back every year? Can they handle a freeze? Because to buy one, yeah, they guarantee their plants. Big deal. I planted, it went to the trouble, it died and their offer is here, we'll give you another one so that I can go to the work to dig out the old one and plant a new one and do this every year? Well, thank you. 
your local nurseries order the varieties that work here, indoors and out. And there are ones that will do very well here outside. Uh, a woman called me yesterday concerned because she had one that had an accident and it wasn't looking good. And she found out it was root bound. Do you know why it was root bound? It was in the same pot for like 30 years, she said. It had great sentimental value to her. Okay, so we worked out a way to hopefully get it to recover. So ferns can be long-lived and attractive plants, but make sure you know what you're getting. Are you, are you getting one that can handle an outdoor freeze if you're putting it outside. That would be important. <clears throat> and there are ones that will. There are lots of ones that will. Just make sure that if you're choosing an outside one, you know what you're getting. Hopefully it'll be on the label. If you're getting one, for indoors, that's pretty much anything. Lots of those ferns could manage as an indoor display. They'll look great. But just understand the difference. Um, aloe, how do you take care of aloe in the winter? Try to protect it from freezing. There are aloes that can handle the cold and will bloom. Some of the aloes put out a really attractive bloom. Keep it somewhere, if you can, out of the worst of the north wind. That helps a lot, especially in a container. Even if you only move it there for a month or so. If it's already been in the ground... If it's already gone through a winter, congratulations, it's probably very hardy. What should you do to care for it? They do not need a lot of water during the winter. We will probably be able to get by with what they call dry land, meaning the rain that falls from the sky will be enough for it. Again, it's a situation of, did you go buy an aloe and stick it in the ground and this is its first winter? Oh, you better go back and check on it. Trying to keep it covered and keep it warm will make a big difference. But there's no guarantee. Let's go to the phone. This is Don. Don, what can I help you with? Hey, Jeff, how are you today? Uh, you know, I cannot complain. It's going to be such a beautiful day. Yeah, get some of that vitamin D today. Uh, you were talking about ferns. Um, the important thing about an outdoor fern you want to remember is that ferns don't like the sun. They like filtered sun, but they prefer to grow in the shade. So if you look in nature, that's the way you, where you find the ferns. It's not in a place that's an open field. It'll be 
tucked in among other, you know, bushes or shrubbery or, or trees or something. And, you know, close to a water source, um, they, they draw most of their water in the morning from the moisture that's in the air. Just mm-hmm. a little side note there. So you really don't have to water them except, uh, like in a real, real, you know, dry area, uh, uh, uh time of the year. But yeah, that's the thing about funds is they love the shade. They don't want the sun. You know, Don, I appreciate you making that comment because I failed to do so. And you're absolutely right. They are perfect shade plants. They're attractive. They are not real demanding, but you will burn them to the ground if you try to plant them out in the middle of a full sun field. So you're right. We need to consider at least dappled shade for them, if not slightly heavier shade. All right. You have a good day. Thanks for the call, Don. Yeah, that's a great reminder, folks. If you're talking about ferns, that's the other thing. They are not sunshine plants. They, they, they're they not a fan yet. So that can be, that can be a bit of an issue. Okay, fig tree question. A fig in a container can still produce figs. However, a fig that's still young, meaning generally less than five years, may not produce figs. It needs to get older. Also, a fig it is not at all unusual the first few years for it to freeze to the ground. The crown of the fig will be fine, but it can freeze to the ground and it will come back every spring until one year it suddenly goes, okay, I'm ready, and it'll produce taller shoots that don't freeze back. But a young fig container in the ground, first off, it's probably too young to produce a fig until it gets that for five years in. Second, it won't produce figs until it stops freezing back to the ground. So remember that when dealing with your fig trees. Uh, question, can you plant elephant guard plant, excuse me. I'm gonna try that again. Can you plant elephant garlic where wild onions grow? Um, Yes, but there's not a relationship between the wild onion and the elephant garlic. This is going to be strange, but elephant garlic is really not a true garlic. But yes, you simply need a good soil to plant it in, and you can plant elephant garlic. You're probably a little late. If you're going to do so, get it in the ground soon, because we're coming up on um, it will be too late for it to form a good bulb for you in the spring. But yes, 
you can plant it where uh, wild onion was growing, but there's no relationship between the two. They won't compete with each other or something like that. So um, this is gardening naturally. I got to take a break. We'll be right back. This is Gardening Naturally on News Radio KLBJ with host Jeff Ferris. Jeff is ready for your calls or text messages at 512-836-0590. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Um, Something about citrus you have to understand. Color doesn't determine ripeness. There are varieties of citrus that will go from green to orange and back to green. There are also things about citrus that they'll get ripe, they'll get sweet, and then they get sour if they've been on the vine too long. Impossible to tell by looking at them. Sample some early. The minute you grab one, and it's not a hard baseball anymore, it's one that you can at least apply some pressure to and it gives a little, test it. Pick it. Take a bite. See what it tastes like. My blood oranges, I had picked a little early last year, and as a result, they were sour. But I've also had fruit. They, I've also had fruits, and I picked them too soon. They weren't as sweet as they could be. So, yeah, it, it takes a bit of a practice, a bit of a practice to understand your citrus plant. So the goal is always to get it to produce as many as you can. So you can start harvesting and not waste many and know when they're at their maximum sweetness. Now, you know, there's a question. If I have multiple citrus trees and they're in containers, one's a mandarin, one's a lemon, uh, one's a grapefruit. Do they cross-pollinate? Not so much. Citrus, for the most part, is self-fertile. It doesn't require to have bees go crazy all over it. They tend to fertilize themselves. They have perfect flowers, so they don't need pollen to come in from a different flower. If they were to cross-pollinate, it would tend to be that one fruit. I got um, grapefruit and a satsuma. And two blossoms. One blossom on each is open at the same time, and the pollen crosses over. That individual fruit 
may have crossed and produced a possible different flavor. What normally happens, though, it's not the fruit that is affected. It would be the seed. You may cut open one of the fruits, get the seeds out, plant them, and in five years or so, see what kind of fruit they produce. But cross-pollinating on a whole bunch of citrus in containers, that's, that's not a real issue. Remember, if they cross-pollinate, it's not the flesh of that particular year that changes. It is the seed that is used to produce the next year's crop. So that allows you to keep a lot of plants a lot closer to each other than you would expect and not have to worry about a bell pepper and a habanero crossing in the flesh be, oh, wow, this is really hot. And it's supposed to be just sweet. Same with zucchini, squashes, other plants. Can they cross-pollinate? Absolutely. Absolutely. But you will see the result in the next generation seed that comes up. This is one of the reasons why people talk about heirloom plants. They're not of a certain age. We haven't been keeping this seed for a given amount of time, and that makes it an heirloom. We keep it so that it is only pollinated by the same type of plant. Mortgage lifters only produce mortgage lifter seeds. Um, Black Beauty zucchini only produces Black Beauty zucchini. If you do not cross pollinate. If you do, you're going to get the right fruit. You're just not going to be able to plant that seed and get the same thing back. Oh, can you use your lavender to start new plants? Yes, it's called a cutting. And in reality, that's how most lavenders are started because the seeds are real ornery. (laughs) For lack of a better word, they don't always germinate. Sometimes they take a really long time to finally germinate. You can take a cutting and uh, put it in a moist, well-drained potting soil, trim off a few of the bottom, trim off a few of the bottom leaves, Stick it in that potting soil, use some rooting hormone, and it will become its own plant in a a certain period of time. Not forever, but it will take a bit. That you can do with, you can do that with lavender, rosemary, um, any of the perennial herbs can be done that way. And it's an easy way to get more plants. 
can be very productive. Folks, this is Gardening Naturally. Coming up at the top of the hour, you all have a magnificent day today. It is lovely weather. And sooner or later, we know it's coming. We're going to get hit by a freight train of cold. Probably, hopefully, some rain. But until then, I will talk to you all again next Saturday at 9. I hope you have a great weekend.